Church, is it a good idea? Think about that for a second. Okay, now please note that what I'm saying, I'm saying this with a smile on my face, but it doesn't really matter if you think it's a good idea or not, (laughs) because God thinks it's a good idea. God decided that the church was going to be the way that he was going to work to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to spread his glory by transforming human hearts, and he was going to do that through the church. Now, how the church functions and operates, that's another question, but whether or not the church is the way God wants to work, that's a settled question. How it works and how we do things, that's something we should critique and we should wrestle with and talk about how it functions, what it teaches. We can examine who should lead it and how it should be led. We can look at the functions of the church. We can ask questions like why it exists. We can do all these kinds of things like what should we be doing as a church? All of those things are good questions to ask. But the question of why the church, God's already settled that. That's what he's chosen to do. And what we want to do in this series is take a look at the different churches in the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, and see what we can learn from them, and looking at little glimpses of these churches, and taking some things away, and ask ourselves, how can we do those things, and are we doing those things, and what does God want to do through the life of this church? And one of the things that just really, I was reminded again this week as I was working on this message, that all of this, all of us, we belong to God. This is Jesus's church. He's called me to be a shepherd of it, Um, Paul called Pastor Kyle to be the lead shepherd of three campuses, and then a bunch of us to, to do the smaller campus stuff and to shepherd it and guide it. But this is God's church, not mine, not yours. It belongs to Jesus. And actually, that's really good news, and that he wants to do things in and through this church. That's really encouraging to me, and I'm hoping that as we unpack uh, this series, you'll see some of the things that we could grow in, some of the things that maybe we're doing well, and I'm hoping that you'll look at yourself and look at your part in the life of church. So the church we're going to look at today is the Church of Antioch. It's going to give us some pictures about how God functioned in the early church and how the church operated. There's going to be a lot of things we could look at. We're just going to kind of narrow it down to six things. And this is going to be a little different than my norm because this is a narrative. And if you remember in the Old Testament, when we hit narratives, those are stories. So you can't really go through them verse by verse like I normally do. My normal style of preaching is taking a passage, working through it a little bit at a time. What we're going to do in this one is we're going to take six topics from this passage. And we're going to look at those six topics and the verses that relate to them. Okay? So what we're going to focus on are six characteristics of the Church of Antioch. And here are six things that we can see from the book of Acts that this church was about. The first thing was, is that it's Christ-centered. And we're going to come back to all these and unpack them a little bit. It was a Christ-centered church. It was an evangelistic church. It was a church that was concerned with reaching people with the gospel. It was a diverse church, and we're going to look at how diverse it really was. It was a generous church, but it was also a very spiritually vibrant church, and it was a sending church. And that's going to be kind of interesting as we think about who we are as a sent church. This church was a sending church and sent out some of their best to go and do the ministry of the gospel. All right, so we're going to break this down by each one of those and look at the verses that kind of connect with that. And the first one is that it was a Christ-centered church. And you might just go, duh, aren't they all? And the truth is, no, 
Not all churches are focused on exalting Jesus Christ and having him be the center point of what they're all about. But this church was a Christ-centered church. Here's what it says in verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. That's the key right there. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. Their message, what they were doing as they came down to Antioch, was preaching Jesus Christ. They were focusing on Jesus Christ. That was all that they were about. They didn't have some other big agenda as far as some political agenda or financial agenda. They came to tell people that there was a man named Jesus who was fully man and fully God, had come down from heaven and had died on the cross, and they were focused on preaching Jesus. Now, if you're new uh, to this word here called Hellenist, you might be like, okay, what's that? That's a strange word. I, I try to explain things quickly. Um, you can look this up more if you want to on your own. Uh, simply, this was the time when Greek thought and everything about Greek culture since Alexander the Great all the way up to about Cleopatra had taken control of that region, and they were simply called Hellenists. And Hellenists were people that had taken maybe their own culture and maybe not, maybe it had been totally transplanted by Greek culture, but all of Greek culture was dominated. Greek language, that's why the Bible was written in Greek. Greek ideas, talking about uh, all anything that was Greek was dominating the culture. And so these people that were being preached to in Antioch were Hellenists. They had been absorbed into Greek thinking and Greek culture. And so some of them were going to be Jews, had, had syncretized their faith, Jewish beliefs along with Greek thought. Some of them would have been Gentiles who had no religious background and had been totally consumed by Greek thought. And so we're going to see that word several times in the book of Acts. And whenever you see it, just think about a culture, Greek culture, dominating people's thoughts. That's what we're looking at here. Okay? So these guys come down and they're preaching Jesus and Jesus alone to the culture and influencing the culture. And then in verse 26 it says, In Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now, why are we using those two verses to say that it was Christ-centered? Because what they were doing and how they were living and how they were preaching and what they were talking about was so Christ-centered that eventually people said, we're going to call them Christians. Because it's so Christ, Christian, we're going to call them Christians. Man, I would love it if people could take a look at me and go, he's a Christian. <laughs> That would mean I was doing something fairly right. <laughs> but these guys were speaking and living, and we talk about it as proclaiming, right? And delighting in and displaying. They were doing that in such a way that people started to look at them and go, let's just call them Christians. And so this was a Christ-centered church. It was preaching the word of Christ. It was living it in such a way that others started to call them Christians. And they demonstrated their faith by living it out. And people said that looks and sounds like the teachings and the actions of Jesus. Then there's a second component to who they were. They were an evangelistic church. And it says in verse 24, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This little baby church was out there doing their work and people were coming to faith. People were coming to faith in Jesus and the church was growing. The message of Jesus was being preached and it was being shared with others and they were adding to the church. And I want to remind us again, what I said just a little bit earlier, it was really fascinating when I was looking at this, added to who? What does it say in verse 24? People were added to what? To the Lord. 
They weren't added to the church at Antioch. The church of Antioch wasn't the focus of what they were being added to. The church in Duluth isn't the focus. The church in Chester Park isn't the focus. I want to see people added to the Lord. And when the church grows through evangelism, it's, it's not about the church getting bigger. I don't want to see this church filled so that we have to go to two services or so filled that we have to start another, another campus just so we can say, hey, look how filled the church is. I want to see that happen because that means people are being added to the Lord. And the Lord deserves people being added to him. <laughs> and his name deserves being honored and glorified and proclaimed because he's worthy. And so that's what we're seeing here, that they were out sharing that message and people were being added to the Lord. They were an evangelistic church. Now, the challenge I have for this on this point is this. Do you want to share your faith? Are you evangelistic? Now, I know that we're all supposed to say yes, but I've also been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And I know where I've been at times, and I know where we can be at times. Now, if you're visiting today, I want you to know most, the rest of my congregation knows I'm a preacher of good news. I, I see the positive things that are going on in our church, and I want to be positive, but I also want to be positive, but also challenge us on occasion, right? Do you want to share your faith? Are you evangelistic? Listen. I'm saying this in the most positive way that I can. I want you to see it as a challenge, not as a scolding, okay? But if you don't want to share your faith or be evangelistic, you won't be. If you don't want to, if you will sit there and say, man, I don't want to do that. That's hard. That's scary. I just don't want to do it. Guess what? You won't. So here's my challenge for you is will you pray and ask God to work in you through the Holy Spirit to give you a desire to share your faith? Because I understand. I was challenged one time years ago to pray daily that God would give me an opportunity to share my faith. Guess what? I've shared this with you before. I don't pray daily for that. Sometimes I don't pray daily because I just forget. If this is supposed to be a center part of my life, how do I forget? But if I'm going to be really, really honest and I try to be straight with you and be a real person with you. There are moments I've woken up and said, I don't want to pray for that today because it might just happen. <laughs> and I don't know if I want to share today because it's a lot of work. It might take an hour. It might take a hard conversation. Somebody might get mad at me. All of those things go through our minds. And so sometimes when we think about sharing our faith, we have to ask the question, do I really want to? And if I answer honestly, when the answer is no, the remedy is praying and asking God that his Holy Spirit would work in me to give me a desire to do it. So when I'm at those moments of like, I don't know that I want to do this, that's when I have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help me. Have you ever had that open conversation where the door's open and you're like, I'm not walking through, I don't want to walk through today. <laughs> they just laid it on a silver platter in front of me to share the gospel. Oh. <laughs> We're human, right? Instead of going, yeah, this is the opportunity, we step back sometimes and go, boy, I'm not sure. Listen, it's an important question. Do you want to share your faith? Do you want to share the gospel with others? 
If you don't, I'm not trying to scold you. I don't want you to walk away feeling guilt today. I want you to pray and ask the spirit of the living God to give you the desire to share your faith. And then when he does, and if you are at that place where maybe he's been doing that in your life and you are excited about sharing your faith, then here's the next step. I use the word winsomely. Winsomely bring the truth of the gospel into all the relationships and, the, and your circles of influence. That's what we mean when we say declare, display, and delight in the gospel here at Rock Hill. We mean taking it out into all aspects of your life, and in a winsome way, you're bringing the truth of the gospel into your work life, into your family life, into your neighbor's life, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the restaurant. I was at a fast food restaurant the other day, and bless their hearts, they didn't know what they were doing. Anybody been there? I used to work in fast food. I used to be a manager. So I want to like jump over the counter and say, go do this, go do that, go do this. Well, everybody on my side of the counter, we're already doing that. (laughs) And you know what? I just decided I'm just going to try to be super patient here for this moment. I'm going to try to be super kind. I'm just going to try to say something nice to the people behind the counter. Try to engage them in a little bit of light conversation because you could tell they they were drowning. And you know what? I could help but walk away feeling, that was the Spirit of God. Because <laughs> my human side was like, come on, I'm standing, I just wanted a burger, you know. <laughs> and a chocolate shake, but that's another thing. But <laughs> standing there, and then all of a sudden I just felt like the Spirit say, just give them some kindness. Because they know that they're drowning. See, winsomely, bringing the truth of the gospel is sometimes how we treat somebody at a restaurant, or how we treat somebody when they didn't fix your car completely the way that it should be. Doesn't mean we don't fix those things. Doesn't mean we pay. F- we can have those conversations, but we can do them in ways that are winsome and bring people to an understanding that, wow, that's a different way to handle things. This church was an evangelistic church. Somehow they were winsome and how they were sharing the gospel with a culture that had never heard of anything like what they were talking about. Can you imagine that? Well, we're seeing it more and more in the world we live in too. But a place that had been consumed by Greek culture, thinking about multiple gods, and now here these guys were preaching this gospel of Jesus But they were doing it in such a way that the church was added to, the Lord's people were added to through this body of believers that were doing this. So my challenge for you today is do you want to share your faith? And if you don't, pray that God would give you the spirit, through his spirit, a desire to do that. The third thing in this church, it was a diverse church. This is what's really interesting in this early church. It was a very diverse church. This is what verses 19 uh, uh, through 20 say. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, so they have been scattered because of this, they traveled to all these different places, Phoenicia and Cyprus and to Antioch, and they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. They were feeling like they were supposed to still be about just reaching the Jewish community. But now there were some men who had come down, and they were from another place. Now, you heard all these places, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, now from Cyprus and Cyrene. And they came down, and they spoke to those who who were from a whole different cultural worldview, and they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And we see that these people were coming from all kinds of religious backgrounds that were different, different cultural backgrounds, different regional backgrounds. 
and they were all coming together and hearing the one thing that would join them together. They couldn't say, well, I'm from Phoenicia, and you're from Phoenicia. I'm from Cyprus, you're from Cyprus. I'm Greek-speaking, and you're Greek-speaking. That wasn't what bound them together. It was Jesus. That's all they had. Now, if we would talk long enough, we're going to find some commonalities amongst us, right? But the one thing that we have in common is Jesus. Because if we talk long enough, we're also going to find a lot of the ways that we're different, and we see things differently. Coming together with this one focus, the focus of Jesus. And in this passage, all these different backgrounds coming together and being united in Jesus for a common purpose, common belief, common cause. In my opinion, the church in the United States has such a unique opportunity. Not only do we have the freedom to share the gospel, we live in a country that has some of the most greatest diversity in the entire world. I mean, we're built on people coming from everywhere. So not only do we have the freedom to share the gospel, we have all the different cultures in our midst. And then you add being in a college town, and we literally, guys, we literally have people from all over the world, from all over the country, from all over over our state, from all over our region, come right here in the Twin Ports. And they go to UMD and St. Scholastica and Lake Superior and Superior in Wisconsin. They're right here. God has brought that to us. And so we need to be a church that is diverse. And the church should be a beautiful picture of being united in Christ. But diverse in endless other ways that we say, that's not important. What's important is that we're united to worship Christ, to know Christ, to proclaim Christ. So this church in Antioch was a diverse church, and it gives us the picture of how we should be as a church and how we should look as a church. The next thing it tells us is that it was a generous church. It was a church that was concerned for the needs of others. This is verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus. He stood up and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the land. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined by the Spirit, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending to the elders by the, end of, by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. They gave according to their means. What, what the, the elders and the disciples said is, let's pray about this. And they felt like the Spirit was saying, let's give and help because a famine is coming. And these are our brothers and sisters. They live a long ways away, but that's where we're going to, our unity is in Christ. And so no matter where they're living, we have an opportunity to help them. And they told them to give according to their means. And they gave to help the furthering of the gospel, and they gave to help those who are in need. And I want you guys to hear this because we have a a great thing going here at Rock Hill. Our church is a very generous church. We've been very generous, and I want you to be encouraged by that. But I want you to know that that's part of the life of a follower of Jesus and part of the church. And we see it here that these people were generous in their giving, and they gave according to their means. Some of us have more means than others. 
And it's between you and the Lord about how much you should give. But I'll never forget a speaker that I heard when I was in college. And it really made me think. And he said, the issue isn't how much you give, it's how much you keep for yourself. And I'm not saying that because we need more resources at the church. I'm saying that because that's something that you and God have to work through in your own heart. But this was a generous church. This was a church that was looking at the needs of other people. And they said, we want to use our resources to help others. And for those of you who are younger, here's my little challenge on giving. And, and if you're visiting today, we don't talk about money here a lot. The Bible actually talks about money a ton <laughs> because it's part of how God works in our lives. The, how we handle our money is part of the stewardship of what the Spirit wants to teach us. But here's one thing. If you're younger and you don't make a lot of money, it does not get easier to give when you make more money. One of the things I used to tell people, I worked at a Christian college for 20 years. We'd talk about giving, and I'd say, if you make 100 bucks a week, what's, what's 10%, which is often what we give in church as a tithe? 10 bucks. Back in those days, I'd say, what does 10 bucks buy you? And they'd say, a pizza, a tank of gas. I'm telling way back, right? <laughs> a couple gallons of gas. And then I would remind them, someday they're going to make more money than that, quite a bit more money than that. And I would say, what would a tithe look like from that amount of money? Well, a snowmobile, car, European vacation. I would remind them, if you can't give up a pizza or half a tank of gas, you're never going to give up a snowmobile, a European vacation, or a car. You see, giving isn't about how much I make. I should be a giver no matter what. But I do, it does tell us to give according to our ability and to our means. But we should all be giving to some degree for the purpose of the kingdom. And this was a church that was generous. And so I can't ignore that in this passage today. This is what they were doing. They saw their brothers living in Judea that were going to be in need. And they took a collection, a preemptive collection. The famine hadn't even happened yet. But it was coming. I just want to remind you how you should be seeing your financial resources from the scriptures there are four things. One is to provide for yourself and your family. That's part of what you're supposed to be doing with your resources, is to provide. You're also supposed to enjoy some of the fruit of your labor. So this doesn't mean that you can't ever enjoy some of it. The Bible is clear that when we work hard and we earn, we're supposed to enjoy some of the fruit of our labor. We're all going to do that differently, right? But then there's two other things that we're supposed to do with our financial resources. We're to help others who are in need. That's one of the things we want to do as a church when we see one another in need. We want to be the first ones to say, hey, you don't have to go to a social program. Let us help first. And then we'll go if we can't go farther, if, if we need more help than that. And the last one is for the furthering of the gospel. Guess what? Rock Hill, we don't go ask other people for money. <laughs> There's no place else other than Rock Hill people that are supporting the needs of Rock Hill. That used to really get me when I started thinking about that. Oh, yeah, my church just has us. There's no other sources, there's no government sources, anything like that. And so we give, I give, I'm asking you to give so that the gospel can go forth and more and more people can be added to the Lord. Again, we're a generous church. I just throw that out there from this passage and encourage you to continue to be generous. If it's something you wrestle with, then you and the Holy Spirit wrestle with it. I'd love to talk to you more about it as well. But that was part of this church. It was generous. And then the next thing that we see, that it was a spiritually vibrant church. 
It was a vibrant church. Look, look in chapter 13, and that's why we went with chapter 13, because it also does talk about Antioch, the church at Antioch. But in verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Do you see what they were doing? They had come down from Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, Lucius. And here's a little interesting one we can read really fast over in verse 1. Manet, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. What? You go really fast past that and you stop and don't realize and don't stop to think. Herod the Tetrarch, the king, the ruler, his lifelong friend had become a believer. So this lifelong friend of this ruler was a follower of Jesus. And Luke puts that in there so that we would go, whoa, look what God does. That's pretty awesome. And so Saul and this guy are friends and this guy is the friend of the Tetrarch. That's pretty cool to see how the gospel is going into all fingers of life, all the different veins of, of life in that culture, including political life, so that the Tetrarch had a friend, a lifelong friend, who now was a follower of Jesus. But here's what this church was doing, verse 2. They were worshiping the Lord, they were fasting, and then, I just love this, use your imagination now, and if you've lost me, come on back now. Use your imagination now. They're gathered together, they're singing songs of praise, they're fasting, and then it says, the Holy Spirit said to them. <laughs> Somewhere, the Holy Spirit makes it clear to them, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to do. This was a church that was fasting and praying and seeking the Lord, and the Lord showed up. <laughs> Amazing, huh? The vibrancy was shown in the fact that they were worshipped and they were worshipping in a way that was focusing on the Lord. They were fasting. They were listening to the Holy Spirit. I think that's the part that really struck me. They were listening for the Holy Spirit. And they were praying. And I'm going to keep calling us to these things. Praying that God would do a work. Pray for your needs. Pray for the people you love. But then pray for our church and pray for the spread of the gospel. They were, they were worshiping. They had a Christ-centeredness in their worship, and they were singing praises to him. They were fasting. They were choosing to abstain from food for a while in order to seek the Lord. And then they were listening, or as we've been talking about lately, they were walking in step with the Spirit. They were being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to know that being in the Scriptures is a super important part of being, having a vibrant Christian faith. This passage doesn't talk about that, so I want to make sure that I pull that in because I don't want you to think we're not adding the Bible to it. But in this passage, it was talking about these things were part of their vibrant spiritual life. But here's one thing about listening to the Spirit and why I'm saying this, because the Spirit will never tell you or I to do something different than what the Scriptures teach. So that's super important that we make sure that the Scripture is our foundation. The Spirit is never going to tell me, like, I've heard some people tell in my years of ministry something that's totally opposite of what God teaches. That is a different kind of spirit that's speaking at that point, okay? But the spirit of the living God spoke to them and told them to do this thing. And that's the last piece about this church. It was a sending church because then they did what the spirit told them to do and they sent those guys out. So the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. 
And they didn't sit down and have a long conversation about why that didn't seem like a good idea because Barnabas and Saul are like two of our best leaders and we don't want them going anywhere. We need them right here. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. (laughs) They did pray and they did fast a little bit longer, but then they sent them off. They did what the Spirit told them to do. Can you imagine sending off some of your best and strongest leaders? Saying goodbye and sending them off to do the work of the gospel? Actually, some of you can, right? This isn't that far from what's happened at Rock Hill. Chester Park is the result of the sending off example that we see right here. And I know this because I've talked to him personally about it. Maybe you don't know this, but if you had come from the Lincoln Park campus, I want you to hear this from your pastor, from the lead pastor who was sending at the time, Pastor Kyle. Pastor Kyle talked to me back in those days, and we've talked about it many times since, that he was so excited when Chester started. It was part of the multiplying vision that Rock Hill had, but it also hurt. He would not see people that he loved and cared for on a regular basis like he used to. And we talked about this, and this is part of why I think he was somewhat happy for me to be that person, is that he also took the responsibility of having to entrust people that he loved and cared for into somebody else's hands. I I, I want you to know, those of you who had come from the Lincoln Park campus, it was not easy for him to let you go. He, He felt this. Some of the best leaders, and he said, we're gonna have a gap when you guys start. It was hard for him to say goodbye, just like it might have been hard for you to say goodbye. And some of you experienced that loss, too, of starting a new work, and it wasn't always easy. Now, I say that because someday, I'm not sure when, but Lord willing, we're going to be part of sending people off to start another work. And that'll be hard. That's part of Rock Hill and part of what we're about So someday, again, I don't know when, Chester Park and Lincoln Park are going to join together and grab a few people here and grab a few people here and say, we want to start another work, another place of sending, just like we've done with Superior. That part's not going to end. That's part of who we are. And it's going to be hard. And we already send people when they graduate, right? And I want you to know, when people leave here, I don't just send them off I'll follow up with email. I'll say, here's a couple churches I think you should check out. Here's a couple of fellowships I think you should think about. Here's a book I think you should read during this transition. We're actually sending them. We're not just letting them go. We're sending them out. We already do that being part of a college town. But we want to be a sending church, whether it be new campuses or starting church plants or just people off into the vocational work that God's called them to do in another city. We're going to be ascending church. Here's one of the dangers, and here's one of the things I, I want you to hear this morning. Some of you might have the, um, maybe the idea that what's going to happen in your mind now is, I don't want to get close to people. I don't want to build fellowship and community because if we're going to send people off again, we're going to have to have change and experience that. If you're like me, I'm not a big change person. It's not my favorite. Some of you are like that too. That would not be what God's plan is, is for us to say, I'm not going to connect because people are going to change and leave. 
God's desire is for us to be so connected and so deeply in fellowship that when it's time to send out a new group, it's going to hurt, but in a good way. And they looked at Saul and Barnabas, and it hurt. But they sent them out, and they did great work. See, God's church is always expanding. Don't, don't buy into the lie that we're in a cultural decline in such a way that the church is never going to grow. <laughs> uh, that's Jesus' work. Our job is to do what we're called to do, but the Spirit of Christ is going to go forth, and the church is going to grow. People are going to come to faith. I just want us to be reminded that even in the Scripture, we see churches sending out others to do the work of the gospel other places. So this church, Antioch, and our church are going to be sending churches that we're going to send people out to start new works. I don't know when that will be. The Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us, and this is what we'll do. We'll pray, and we'll worship, and the Spirit will tell us, okay? Just like it did here. All right, what do we do with all this? I know that we're not in the thread, but from the thread, we know that there was going to be a time when a new spirit was going to come upon God's people, okay? So we're going to wrap it up now. A new spirit was going to come upon us. Ezekiel told us we're going to take out our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, And we found out that Jesus was coming and because of us putting our faith in Christ and his Holy Spirit will then come and live in us and his righteousness is poured in us and now we have the spirit of the living God so that we can actually do these things. These aren't white knuckle try harder. I want you to hear the Holy Spirit of the living God lives in you and he wants to do these things and here's the things that he wants to do in and through us. First, he wants us to be a Christ-centered church and to do that we need you to be Christ-centered people. We will not be a Christ-centered church if we're not Christ-centered people. And if we're Christ-centered people, the only way we can do that is by having the Holy Spirit really help us to do that. So number one from this passage, to be a Christ-centered church, we need to be Christ-centered people. Rock Hill, to be an evangelistic church, you and I have to share the gospel of people in our lives. It's not my job to do it. I'm going to do it in the places that God gives me opportunity. I come from the old era. The old days, this is how it worked. You'd call me up and say, hey, my brother needs to hear about Jesus. Would you come tell him? Because you're the pastor. (laughs) Now you know what we'll do? We'll say, hey, I can show you how to do it, but you go tell your brother about Jesus. All right? To be an evangelistic church, you and I have to be the ones who are sharing the gospel with people in our lives. To be a, a diverse church... We need to share our dinner tables with people that don't look exactly like us, are not exactly from the stage of life that we're in, or that have different interests, and maybe we don't even have a great time with them. (laughs) We always think it has to be this perfect connection. To be a diverse people, we need to gather together and spend time together and live life together. To be a generous church, we need to be generous with our time and our money because God has created us to be generous just like he is. God has blessed us with all the blessings that we have and he's just calling us now to be generous just like he is. As a church, to do all these things, we must maintain a spiritually vitality. We must be a vibrant church and vibrant people. We must be seeking Jesus by being people of the word, by people in prayer, by people who fast, by people who worship. That's what this church did. That's what we need to be about. And finally... As a church, we must focus on building real, lasting, Christ-centered community. Real community. While holding all relationships and people with open hands. 
so that we can send people as the Spirit leads. I want to see deep connection with one another, where we know one another, where we walk alongside one another, where we raise families together, where we exhort each other, where we pray for each other. Real community. But the kind of community that can say, I'm going to send you off in Jesus' name to do the work that he's put on your life and your heart and called you to. That's what we see in Antioch, the Church of Antioch. We're going to be looking at a few other churches coming up, and we're going to see some of the things that we can learn from them about what it means to be church. But church, we're God's people, but we belong to one another, and we belong to Jesus. And the good news is he tells us what it should look like as we do this together. And so we want to keep going back here, looking at these things. But all of this is possible only for one, one reason, because of what Jesus has done for us.